that's this Friday, just in case you were, you were wondering. There is a sign-up sheet at the, uh, the back of the church, um, if you guys are at all interested. Um, we have some books. We're going to come here. Last year, it actually uh, it, it got hacked. Um, they did a denial-of-service attack on Secret Church, so it didn't, didn't happen. We ended up having to watch it a, a few days later. Um, they were not able to, to watch at the time. But um, it is, as he said, it's, it's going to be you know five, six hours of intense Bible study and, and prayer time. Um, and it is, it is good, good stuff. Let's, um, let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for sunrise and this wonderful place where we live. Thank you for familiar faces and voices and people returning and family and friends. And thank you that we get to gather together in your name. Thank you for this place that you've given us, Father. We have your word open in front of us. Please be with us. Please draw near as we uh, seek your face, seek a closer relationship with you. Amen. So, uh, Miss Barb, did you want to come up and say something? Miss Barb and Barb? This is like the super team. Like, if you were, yeah, if you were, like, wanting to get Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman, like, up here... Here they come. <laughs> yes. Wendy, please. Yep, Wendy. Good morning. Thanks. Everybody doing well? Yeah. Is the mic on? Yes, it is. Um, we, we wanted to start out with Wendy today because she has kind of a neat, neat thing that has gone on. So hang on. Shannon got a little older, sorry. <laughs> um, I have a friend who is moving out of the area, and she has a home business, and she I was helping her pack up, and she decided she was going to pare down, you know, get rid of some of the stuff she doesn't, not, isn't going to need anymore. So she says, I've got these shirts. And I said, hmm, we've been talking about maybe making some shirts for the people of our church. So she gave us over 90 shirts for free, donated to us, and then um, lo and behold, the next Sunday, Nate told us we have a new logo, so we went, okay, <laughs> so um, now we have shorts, shirts for you guys with the church logo, so I'll let you guys tell us about that. So after church, we're going to congregate in the fellowship hall, and we'd like for you to come get your shirts give us a little bit of time to set up but if I could maybe have two people um, go get the ladders because we have a pole so that the shirts can be hung on them um, for you to visually see them um, and when you do get your shirts we ask that when you wash them turn them inside out in cool water to wash them and then uh, tumble dry and if by chance, if by chance, some of the vinyl does come up, you can take a, an iron and a light towel or parchment paper and put that on it and iron it back down and it should stick again for you. So um, if we don't by chance have your size, which I doubt that because there were so many variants of sizes, then we also would like you to be on our sign-up sheet and let us know what size would work for you. Or if you would like a more custom shirt, like a collared shirt, 
and you choose to purchase that shirt, we would be glad to put that um, vinyl logo on for you. The we in that put it on for you <laughs> is bar. We can't thank you enough yes. for that. And thank you for finding this blessing for everybody. There is no charge for these shirts. Um, I, we were blessed and we wanted to bless the church. But the first person who's going to get blessed is Pastor Phil. Oh, oh man. Oh, no. Really? The jackets were that bad? That was... Oh, so as you can see, here is the new logo. All right, isn't that Yay. beautiful? On the front. On the front. However, on the back, it would have this logo. <laughs> that looks awesome. And just in case you can't read this, Dan, who has a nice loud voice, will read it to you. Says, uh, Pastor, because hardcore devil stomping ninja isn't an official job title. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank you. Uh oh. Thank you oh. for all you do. Thank you guys. Thank you, church family. We love you. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> <laughs> I won't put it on now, I promise. So next week, we have the barbecue, and uh, so I know what I'm wearing. I don't know what you guys are wearing, but I know what I'm wearing to the barbecue. <clears throat> that's, uh, that's awesome. All right, I'll set that over there. <clears throat> Tell that restaurant next door to stop cutting onions first thing in the morning. It just, it, um, uh, oh, oh, she, it's Barb. Yes. Yeah. Thank you guys very, very much. Thank you for all of the hard work. Thank you for doing all of that. It's wonderful. Um, and as they said, we will meet in the fellowship hall after church. Um, so please make plans on staying. That way we can hang out and talk a little bit. And that leads us into, so next week we're going to do the barbecue. So instead of meeting over at the fellowship hall, we're going to go out to the ranch and we're going to hang out. So please plan on coming. So um, logistically, you're going to bring some food on Sunday. So we'll have to set up a table, and we'll have some plug-ins, some power outlets, so you can keep stuff warm or store stuff like you normally would. And then we'll drive out to the, to the ranch after church, and we'll set up for potluck, and we will, we will eat. So um, like I said, be prepared for, uh, for keeping your warm stuff warm and your cold stuff cold. We have the fridges, we have freezers, we have all of those things. So um, we will handle that logistically on Sunday, and then we will go out and we will, we will eat. Um, but please plan on, on coming. I've been watching this show, I have to tell you. I've been watching this show. On, it's called Chef's Table Barbecue on, on Netflix. And it's, I have no idea who the, the person is who wrote it or who directed it. But it's amazing because their, their focus is on community and on how coming together for a meal can bring people together and is a social time and is a time where we can build relationships and build family. And that's one of the things, that's really my goal for, for this getting together. 
Um, you know, I want to have some fun with it, but I also, like I say, it's, I just want everybody to come and get to all the conversation and all the things that we do when we um, gather together. That's, that's what I'm looking for, and we get to enjoy some yummy barbecue at the, the same time. So good stuff. Um, missions update. Uh, so we... We've been kind of, like I say, moving in this direction. So actually, we have um, somehow coerced John Andrews into uh, to taking over as our as our missions director. Yeah. So um, you will be hearing more from him um, as we do that. He's got some great things going on um, with that. Um, but uh, we've had, like I said, um, the, the folks that have come up, you know, Matthias and and, and uh, the wards that have come out. Um, and then uh, we had the, the Gideons last week, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, Tom isn't here, um, but uh, we're having either him or Mr. Hernandez come and talk to us about jail ministry. So we've got a lot of, of pieces that we're, as we're trying to move forward to have a, a ministry focus there um, and really add that into our, um, into our arsenal that we are slinging out into the world. So um, it's, we're super excited about that part, um, but just, uh, just know that we are moving in that, in that direction. Um, Bible studies, Miss Rhonda is still out of town. She's loving on grandbabies. I'm awesome. <laughs> I got to see pictures this morning. I mean, I'm not going to brag or nothing, but I did get to see pictures and video of grandbabies this morning. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, so uh, Mr. Vern will have the, the men's, but the, we won't have the ladies this week for the, the Tuesday evening Bible study. Um, like I said, we do have Secret Church on Friday, uh, and then the 25th is, um, is the, the potluck. May 9th, gentlemen, is Mother's Day. If you didn't know, write it down right now. May 9th, Sunday, May 9th is, is Mother's Day. The cards are already out, just FYI. If you, you know, happen to be out and about, that they're there, you can get your cards now. Please remember to do so. Um, at the end of the month on May 30th is a Memorial Weekend, but it's also our fifth Sunday. So... If you have a child that you need to uh, have do a Bible verse, if you're going, man, I, my kids haven't gotten up and spoken in a while, or maybe there's something they've been talking to you about that um, they've been curious about, it's a great opportunity for them to get to uh, get up here and talk about their favorite Bible story, and we love to hear from them. Um, yeah, please remember the, the, the prayer request, the tear-off tab on the... Uh, on the back there if, uh, if we're not getting in touch with you or if you have a prayer request or um, if there's something that, that the church needs to address for a need for you, please fill that out and put that in the offering box at the back of the church. Um, we do read those and uh, all of that. <clears throat> so I have to tell you that Heather is killing it in the, in the joke contest. So we have another submission from her. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's an electrician joke, so kind of tailored right there. It says... Uh, and, and, it, and it, this is true. Um, I, I caught my son the other day. He was uh, chewing on one of the cords for, for one of our lamps. And uh, he was shocked, um, especially when I told him that he was grounded. <laughs> but you will all be happy to know that he is doing better currently and conducting himself properly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Heather. That one is fantastic. All right. So we are in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, if you want to. Open your Bibles. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness. 
and the darkness has not overcome it. And then just jump down to verse 14. We're going to add this in because it kind of pulls out. But it just says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we're starting the book of John. This is our our first week in the book of John. Start at the very beginning of it. So we'll start off with with our history portion of it. We know who John is. John was the son, one of the sons of Zebedee. He was a fisherman, just like his brother James. He was there with um, Peter and his brother Andrew when, when they were called. If you were to flip in your Bible to, uh, to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, um, or uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, that's where Jesus calls the disciples, and that's where we read all these names. We read about James and John and Peter and Andrew. We... Uh, we think he was probably a little bit younger than Jesus, that he was probably born about 6 A.D., um, and he lived until 100 A.D., according to church tradition. We think he was the oldest living disciple. At the end of his life, if you flip over to Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he was imprisoned. Um, Herod Antipas uh, was, uh, you know, was the king at the time, and uh, um, they, uh, they, they sent him into exile on the Isle of Patmos. And it was, it was mining. There was big mines that they worked there. So it was hard labor. They would, um, it was not like he was just sitting there, you know, in retirement. Um, uh, he was actually there forced to work in, uh, in mines. It's just this rocky, um, kind of craggy area that he lived. He is one of the closest groups to Jesus. When we look at the, the groups of the disciples, we break them down into three different groups, or the twelve. He's one of the closest groups, and that's Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the two sets of brothers, four fishermen, and they were probably in business together. They probably knew each other from the time that they were, they were little kids. It's, you know, very small area, even smaller than, than Fruta, what we're talking about. The population levels were just a lot lower um, in these areas. So they probably all knew each other. They probably all grew up together. And if we read the stories correctly, they were all fishing together. When they talk about the second boat coming to help bring in hauls of fish, that's probably uh, James, and, um, yeah, James and John that come out to, to help with them. The Gospel of John is a first-hand account. John was there for the events that he writes about. If we compare that, Mark and Luke are third-hand, third-hand accounts. Matthew was one of the disciples, but he was not present for some of the things that he wrote about. Mark, Matthew, and Luke were not there when Peter denied Jesus. John was watching from a distance. Matthew was not at the transfiguration. John was. Matthew was not at the garden. Peter, James, and John were. Matthew was not at the empty tomb. Peter and John were. Jesus asked John to care for his mother, And to our knowledge, he did so until Mary passed away in about 54 AD. The church tradition says that John was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Um, That that is speculation, but it's not unreasonable. I remember we were talking about um, Herod and Herod uh, Antipas and Herod Agrippa. And if we go to Acts chapter 12, that's where we hear about it's it's when James is executed. And uh, he ordered James, John's brother, to be executed. He imprisons Peter. And it's likely at that time when the church scattered that, that John went to Ephesus and that he taught there, and then at the end of his life he was, he was exiled. If you read that in, in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19, it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. 
intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to, the, to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Those disciple ninjas, I tell you what. <laughs> but the, Amazing. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. This John Mark, not John um, who we're talking about today. Where many people had gathered were praying. Peter knocked at the entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. They thought he had died. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and des described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. It's one of the things to think about. It's fascinating to think about after the resurrection. How the gospel spread, how it went all over the earth. That James, Jesus' brother, that he would actually pastor a church in Jerusalem. That the disciples would, would cross the known world even out into Asia preaching the gospel. Peter and Paul would preach in Rome, the center of the known world at the time. Now, none of the gospel writers, they, none of them signed their work, but we are pretty confident we know who wrote these books. Some of the letters, we can, we can argue who the author was, but, but not these first four books. In here, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He does that five times in his gospel. We always kind of take that as kind of arrogant. I don't think so, though. In fact, I, I put it in your, in, your, uh, in your bulletin. I think we should all, if we have come to faith, we should all refer to ourselves as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't know if it was a reminder for himself or a reminder for us, but it's a powerful reminder that when we are saved, and even before we are saved, that we are loved first by Christ. We're loved by him. And John reminds us of that in his writing. His writing is really amazing. And if we were to look at the other Gospels, Matthew even refers to his own calling and conversion as a miracle, and I, I would do the same. I would say that me standing here today is an absolute miracle. It's absolute proof 
Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. John always refers to Peter as Simon Peter. They grew up together. He knows the Simon side and the Peter Petros side, the rock. If we were to go back to Luke, we, we demonstrated this a few weeks ago, how Luke would will flip it back and forth as Jesus would. When, when, when Peter was acting like the leader of the church, like the rock, you know, he would say, Peter. When Peter was not acting like that, when he was acting like his human side, he would get called Simon. All of these things, they allow me to, to pause for a moment. I don't know if you guys saw this, but a couple stories in the news that caught my attention this week. One of them was that one of the, the founders, one of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, she bought her fourth house. It was like a $1.4 million house in, in California. And those stories, I mean, I, I, there was lots of these stories that, that pop out. If you guys remember, there was a couple of years ago, there was a, a pastor that was asking his church for a second private jet. There was another pastor that had bought his wife a Lamborghini. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> I'm slacking. But all of those things, they, they catch our attention, don't they? They always make us wonder. They always make us wonder what's really going on in these places. Are they really on mission? Are they really on point? What do they really believe in? If we were to apply that to the Gospel of John, it's absolutely incredible. It adds to the truth, the accuracy of the gospel. Because John gained absolutely nothing. In fact, he lost everything for what he believed. He gave it all up. He had a nice life as a young man, living on the edge of a lake, fishing every day with his family. He had every opportunity after the resurrection to go back and to just live that life. In fact, that's where they go to. Remember, they, they go back to the lake, they're out there fishing, and that's when, when Jesus comes to them, and they come to the shore, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Remember that? He has every opportunity to knock off all of this, to quit, to walk away, to leave. He could have lived a very safe, very comfortable life, and instead he chose, he chose to go against the authorities. He chose to proclaim the gospel. He chose to continue on. Why would you do that? Why would you risk all of that? Why would you give up the life? What's worth it to you to suffer the way that they suffered? He spent over 20 years of his life in exile on an island forced in hard labor. And all he had to do was go to the authorities and say, you're right, I was lying, I was kidding. It didn't really happen the way that I said it. That's all he had to do. That's all any of them had to do was go in front of the, the, the authorities and say, yeah, it was all a lie. If it really was a lie, why not? Why hold on to it? People lie. People lie all the time. But they lie because they get a benefit, right? Or the, at least they delay a consequence. That's what my kids, they, they chiefly lie about things, right? They know eventually, or hopefully they know eventually they're going to get caught, but I don't get caught right now. No, I didn't take the candy. No, I wasn't playing video games for six hours today. No. No, I did my homework. What are they doing? They're, they're delaying. They're delaying the consequence. Right? Or my favorite, these aren't my pants. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> but you're trying to delay a consequence or gain a benefit by your lie. 
So when we look at the lives of the disciples, when we look at John, what did he gain personally? Did he become wealthy? Did he get a second private jet? Did he get a home in the hills? Did he get a comfortable place? No, unless you, uh, you think hard labor, forced labor in a mine is, I don't know. I don't think so. And I think about, there's a lot of people who do this in our, in our society that we can look up to, whether it's police officers or, or firefighters or our healthcare providers. There's a lot of folks that they could choose an easier path. They could choose an easier way. There's a lot easier ways to make money. They choose to serve. And that says not just about them, but also about the profession, that it's a noble calling, that it's something that benefits not only themselves, but it benefits the world around them. And the thing is, today, right now, today, in churches everywhere, there are millions of people just like you who are giving up their free time to teach and to learn the Bible. Think about James, John's brother. All he had to do was confess, to say it was all a lie, and he could have gone home, lived out his life peacefully. He would not have died by the sword. Think about Peter. He watched his wife die before he was crucified. He has to be crucified upside down because He did not feel that he was worthy to die like Christ. John spent over 20 years in prison, forced labor. Instead, he chose to go there. And while he was there, he wrote his gospel, his letters, and the book of Revelation. It was the money, right? That's what they were doing. They were chasing the money. It's funny, they... They recently, they, they found the foundation. The rumor, you know, you never know for sure, but they think they found there was a church that was built on top of Peter's home, family home. And uh, they found the, the foundations of that church. They found a little marking on a stone inside that they think says that that, that is the place. That house, that church was smaller than the, the cry room. It's maybe 12 by 12. That was his home when that became one of the churches. I don't think you could fit your jet in there. The point is that I think there is strong evidence to the truth of the gospel in the fate of those who proclaim it. The thing is, I, I pick on the Catholic Church a lot, and they, they deserve it, but they spend a long time as a power structure in the world, and they have a lot of money and a lot of land. But what do they do with it? Catholic Outreach feeds over 200 people three meals a day, every day, seven days a week. They house homeless people on North Avenue and apartments over on First Street, and they're building more. They provide showers and laundry and mailbox services. They run schools and hospitals everywhere worldwide. There are a lot more Christians, a lot more churches, a lot more teachers, leaders, and students who spend their lives in prayer in learning and teaching and serving than spend their lives accumulating wealth and power. And the truth of the gospel can be seen in the fruit of the lives of those Christians. Most of them, you'll never even know their names. Countless millions who faithfully served, they built and they maintained churches, they worshiped, they prayed, they sang, they served, and they passed on to heaven. 
all of them, with nothing better to do than to obey Christ. That's the most powerful witness that we can give. Because we can look at the fruit of their lives. We can judge that tree by its fruit. Compare that to rioting and looting and, and burning, pain caused, businesses lost. Is that the fruit that we want to bear? Or do we want to be healing and feeding and teaching? Do we want to speak life and speak love? Do we want to feed the poor, make sure they're clothed and fed and housed? Or do we want to spread violence and hatred and looting and profiteering? I think we can know which side we want to be on. We can look at John, where he came from, how he spent his life, and we can use that as authentication for the writing. He had no prophet. John's gospel is unique. We've gone through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're called the synoptic gospels. I love big words. They're fun. But they more or less start at Jesus' birth, and they move through the Great Commission in chronological order. Each of the authors, they do some grouping, and there are some unique passages in each of the synoptics. However, the differences between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's around 20%. When we started this uh, three years ago, we spent like a year and a half in Matthew, and then it was about nine months in, in Mark and about nine months in Luke, just covering the, the differences. The people, there's you know, a theory they call the, the Mark supremacy theory, which is, you know, you don't need to know that, but it just people thought, well, they're so similar. They tell so many of the same things. Well, Mark had to have been written first, and then these guys had to have looked at, at Mark to write their own instead of, no, they were all just people that were there for the same events. But 90% of John is not found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So why did John write his gospel? What was the whole point? Why did he write it? He tells us in, uh, in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote it. That the unbelieving will believe, and the believers will be sustained, will be renewed. This gospel is beautiful, and it's unique. The language is very bold and very simple, and yet it is profound. We, we're going to spend our whole time today on verses 1 through 5. The perspective of John is also different. It has almost a, a godly or a heavenly perspective in comparison to, the, if we flip over to Matthew 1.1 1, 1 or Mark 1, 9 through 13, the way they start off is from a human perspective. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And then it goes on into his genealogy. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Matthew starts off with son of Abraham, son of David. Mark starts off son of God. Luke starts off son of Adam, Noah, Abraham, David. John, no. Jesus is God, the author of creation. No cushion, no soft entry, no buildup. In five verses, John lays it all on the line. Matthew calls Jesus the, uh, the Messiah. John calls him God. John also calls him the Word. It's a fun, weird thing to call somebody, right? To call them a Word. But I looked up the definition. It's, it's profound. It's a sound or a combination of sounds, or it's representation in writing or printing that symbolizes and communicates a meaning and may consist of a single morpheme or a combination of morphemes. Something said, an utterance, a remark, or a comment. John is saying something brilliant here. That is, God has something to say to you and me. And Jesus is what he has to say. Jesus is the message, the utterance, the remark, the comment, the sound, the representation of God, and Jesus communicates the meaning of God. John chapter 14, verse 6, 13 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do these works I have been doing, and will, they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus says, abide in me. Make me your house. Live in me. I am the light. I am the life. I am the truth. It emphasizes just a little bit more in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. If you're keeping score at home, we're still in verses 1 through 5. But it leads us to a conversation about the nature of God and the nature of the Trinity. We're still in verses 1 through 5. It says, Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So there we have God, and we have the Spirit. It says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So right there in Genesis 1, you have God the Father, and you have God the Spirit hovering over the water. And then John says, yeah, 
And you have God, Jesus, the word through whom everything was made. Go back and look at, at Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. It says, Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Again, right there, we have God the Father speaking. We have God the Spirit descending like a dove. And we have Jesus, God, being baptized. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's where it gets really confusing because it says, God is one. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus quotes this verse in Mark. If we go to Mark chapter 12, they're asking him, What's the greatest commandment? And he says, This is it. This is the greatest commandment. But he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We pulled this out a couple of weeks ago for Easter, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. It says, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. Wait a minute. What? There's one God, but there's a mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. John, in his opening verse, he settles with very simple language a lot of confusion about the nature of God and Jesus. Was Jesus created? Is he a created being like Adam, or is he an angel? Is he a prophet like Isaiah? No, he is not. And how do we know? Because John says, in the beginning was the word. Jesus existed before creation. He is not a creation. He is not a created being. In the beginning, before time, outside of time, before God spoke time into being, Jesus existed. Is Jesus and the Holy Spirit just an expression of God, an aspect of God? Does God reveal himself in different ways at different times? Is God sometimes God the Father and sometimes God the Spirit and sometimes Jesus? No. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God And the word was God. They existed together at the same time. So before time, God is one, but God is also Father, Spirit, and Son. And they exist, they exist, not they existed, they exist in perfect relationship. All righty, well, I'm going to go home and read a little bit more. I don't know about you guys, but we get this profound mystery right here in the very beginning of John. He's saying to us, you need to understand these things, and you're not really going to. It's a profound mystery. We're not going to grasp it all, but you need to know these fundamental things. God is one, but God is also the Trinity, and each part of the Trinity is fully God. They're not separate. They're, they're not a division of powers. They're not different, different aspects. His threeness is different from his oneness, and we'll probably never really understand that until we get to eternity, and maybe not even then. But that perfect relationship, it settles the next thing for us. See, there's a lot of times, a lot of things that we believe about God, that God needs us, that he needs our worship, that he needs something from us. That's not true. God exists in perfect relationship because of the Trinity. He has no needs. He wasn't lonely and needed a companion, so he decided to create. He does not owe anything. 
we'll read that verse in, in Timothy about the ransom given. It's, it's easy to think that, that Satan was owed something there, that he, God had to pay a price to buy us out. And Jesus did pay a price, but Satan is not owed anything. God did not pay Satan a ransom for us. We sinned against God. God is just. Therefore, he has to punish sinners. When we put ourselves in God's place, and that's what sin is, is us taking God's place, we rightly come under God's wrath. And Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, suffered God's wrath. He did not pay Satan a ransom for us. He drank down the full measure of the cup of God's wrath, the right and just punishment for rebellion against God. And thus God's wrath was satisfied and we could be redeemed. We haven't even got to verse 4 yet. It says, In Jesus is life. Jesus is the creator. Through him everything was created. Jesus is life. Everything that has life is created and is sustained by him. Adds a whole new perspective, though, to when Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness, though, doesn't it? It changes it. Because Jesus created Satan, and Satan is still seeking God's place, asking for Jesus to worship him, asking Jesus to submit to his authority, as if he has any. And it's easy to get mad at Satan, but quite frankly, we do the exact same thing to Jesus all the time. We bargain with God. We treat God like a vending machine. If I say my prayers, if I obey, or I I promise I'll never do that again. If you will, heal or save or help my kids, my family, my wife, or me. We want to negotiate with God how much land he gets in our lives. Satan takes you and all this land, everything you see can be yours. We do the exact same thing. Jesus, just bow down and worship me, and I will make you the king of part of my life. I will attend church when it's convenient, and I don't have better things to do. I will give you my home life, and I will try to remember to pray to you at lunch, even in front of my coworkers. That's mean, but do you see the difference? That's not complete surrender. That's not acknowledging Jesus as the creator, as the author of salvation, as the author of life. It's wanting to negotiate with God as if we have the power to negotiate with God. He is the author of creation. He is the word that spoke everything into vibrant living being, and he is the sustainer of all life. How is anything but unconditional surrender optional? How is anything but reverent worship possible? It's not. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Is there a battle between good and evil? I guess sort of, but not really. Ever walk into a dark room and and turn on the light on your phone? The darkness just, poof, it's gone, because darkness doesn't really exist. It is just simply an absence of light. That's all darkness is, is an absence of the light. Quite frankly, when the light comes on, the darkness is dispelled and it's, and it's forgotten. 
and it, only, it doesn't take very much light, does it, to dispel darkness? You guys ever been in like a completely dark room? And then you just have a little tiny pinprick of light and suddenly everything is illuminated. See, when God's face is towards you, his light is shining on you. And when his back is towards you, it is pitch black. But John is saying something more. See, Jesus and Satan are not super angels fighting over the souls of men. They are not brothers, one good and one bad. I wrote an advertisement. You guys want to hear it? (laughs) Too bad. Sunday, 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 super being showdown. Jesus and Satan step into the ring for the ultra heavyweight championship. The fate of all mankind rests on this winner-take-all grudge match. We'll sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Be there. Tickets on sale now. No. No. Jesus is God. He is uncreated. He is preexistent. He is creator. He is life. He is light. Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Wind and waves and even demons obey him. I have to think there's probably a part of Jesus that weeps over Satan. He is watching one of his children wallow in their rebellion. Satan is eternally cast out, and he will forever live in a lake of fire, an eternal burning, a place of torment. I was thinking about the, when he cast those demons into the pigs. It still strikes me that they didn't want to go to hell. They didn't want to go to that place of eternal torment. They wanted to stay on earth. They said, please, don't judge us yet. They wanted a little bit more time. These evil beings that had tormented a man for probably his entire life, they wanted more time. It's not a place that we want to go to. It's a place where we're eternally separated from God. But the darkness is an opportunity. See, when God's back is turned to us, when we're in the darkness, we have an opportunity to give up our rebellion, to turn back to him, to ask for forgiveness. Because as soon as his face turns towards us, it's too late. The darkness cannot exist anymore. It's dispelled. Poof. Because it can't exist in his presence. It can't. It simply goes away. And everyone who has chosen the darkness is dispelled. Just like that. Poof. So while we are in the darkness, we have time. We have time to seek the light. We have opportunity to seek life, to seek the author of creation. Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 13 says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and make it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and the bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, you will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign 
that will endure forever. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, thank you for John. Thank you for these words. Father, please help us to hold them in our hearts and hold them in our minds. Father, please help us to turn to you, to seek you while you may be found. Father, please wash us, purify us, make us clean. We are seeking redemption, Father. We are seeking be made pure as snow that we could go out into this world and proclaim your word as boldly as John did. Father, we are seeking to live lives like these disciples, that we could serve you, that we could bring people to you, Father, that we could somehow partner with you in the spreading of your gospel. Father, we are seeking goodness and mercy and grace and love and healing, not just for ourselves, but for everyone, for everyone in our valley, for everyone in our state, for everyone in our nation, for everyone in the world, that they would, they would know peace, that they would know love, that they would know you. Father, we, we lift our lives up to you for that purpose. Father, please help us to surrender, surrender to your will, to your sovereign will, to your grace. Father, we um, ask for a special blessing on our children. It seems like many of them are suffering. This Things aren't easy for kids anyway, and this whole pandemic thing has been, I think, worse on them. Father, please shine brightly and speak loudly to them. And Father, please help us to see when they are suffering. Even when they don't say anything, please help us hear them. And please help us to have words and actions that heal, that love, that cherish, that, that bring them close to you and let them know that they are such a precious gift. Father, we ask all of that in the name of your Son, the Word, the Light, the Life, the gift that you have given us all, Jesus Christ. Amen. Fellowship Hall. Everyone, shirts, shirts, love it. <laughs>